Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Hey, what's up, everyone? Ben Kissel here with exciting news about Last Podcast Network partnering with Spotify. I want to clarify exactly what this partnership is. 100% of Last Podcast Network is still owned by Marcus, Henry, and myself. None of the content that you have come to love will change, and every single show is still free. All you have to do is download the Spotify app. Also, no Patreon for any show will be affected. So if you love the Patreon, content that you're getting right now, nothing will change whatsoever. This partnership takes effect in 2020, so plenty of time to go out there, explore the Spotify app, and get comfortable with new technology. What an exciting world! So, this is just another chapter in the journey of the Last Podcast Network, and we are so thankful and grateful to have you on board with us. I'm sure you all have a lot of questions, so Marcus, Henry, and myself will be addressing those questions on the next Last Podcast on the Left episode. So, thank you all so much for your support. We love you, and we will see you on the road in a city near you at some point soon. All right, folks, enjoy this episode and never forget, hail yourselves! Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? If I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kitzel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. It's the end of an era. It's the end of a decade. It's the end of do a... You, do you remember what you were doing in 2009? 2009? Yeah. I mean, I was doing a, about the same thing that I'm doing now. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I haven't really changed that much. I feel like I was just very vulnerable and ready to join any cult that could promise me I didn't have to have sex with the main bearded guy. I mean, is this... A, but this isn't New Year's Eve. Why is it the end of a decade? I mean, people, a lot of people are now... Posting pictures of themselves from 2009 and then in 2019. Well, what's the difference? It's a it's a giant. It's a it's a decade. It's a decade of time. And people yeah, but it's been not, a decade of time for I, for 11 months. Look, I knew I knew you were going to do this. I knew you're going to I knew you're going to parse hairs about I'm not, it. It's that's just not parsing it's hairs. Just, it's a it's massive just, hair. It's just it's just a thing to do. Nothing else is going no. on in the world. We're just talking about hey, what what did you look like in 2009? I looked like Baby Yoda. And I don't know, whatever. But you know, that that's great that people are posting that. I I can't keep up with all the stuff. I don't want to see what I look like in 2009 because I look worse now. If I looked better now, then I would say I would do one of those like, you know, kind of. It's like what do you when you when you're doing something like uh, when you're doing something subliminal, 
when you're doing something. You know what I'm talking about, Travis? I have no idea when where you're going. I'm excited. Though. When you're doing something that's under the radar. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Well, what are you saying? Like when you're low-key bragging. Okay, so you're. Uh, if you, it's it, bragging about how young and youthful you looked at one point, or is that, I think it's bragging about how good you look now as compared to back then. Perhaps it could be. It could be, or maybe you just celebrate I, I how think, horrible I you look ten, now. Ten years of time is enough to make you look like uh, you're a different species. Absolutely, um, from the younger version of yourself. Well, things change, don't yeah. they? Things change and people change. Um, so we have a great episode today. Uh, a little bit later on. We're going to be speaking with Mike Larson. Mike Larson is a uh, he is a Democratic nominee for the congressional fourth district in Ohio. So the fourth congressional district in Ohio. He's currently running in a Democratic primary. If he does win the primary, he will be going against oh the man with the rolled up sleeves that is Jim Jordan. Of course, the representative who has gleefully not passed any legislation whatsoever, and he's been in D.C. for 10 years. Not that all legislation is good, but at the same time, it has potential to be. And it's almost as if he doesn't like to do his job. Of course, you've also probably seen him. He's very active when it comes to creating his own commercials during the impeachment inquiry testimony. So, yeah. So we're going to talk to Mike Larson and, uh, you know, talk about we talk about the environment. We talk a bit about the Second Amendment. We talk about education. We talk about the prison industrial complex. We talk about economic instability, the lack of economic upward mobility. We really have a great conversation. So please uh, listen to that. I find it to be informative. Yes. And interesting. And I always love talking to people who get involved. But before we get to that interview, let's talk about one of Travis and I's favorite people. Yes. And of course, we're talking about Gordon Sondland. Isn't that it's a it's well, a name that just rolls off the tongue. Speaking of people changing, you know, over the course of time. Yes. Gordon Sondland first came to the impeachment inquiry behind closed doors and had a different sort of recollection of what had transpired with the the Trump Zelensky call. But now on the fourth day of the impeachment inquiry mm. of the impeachment hearing rather, uh, we find out that Gordon Sondland is basically the most explosive key witness of the hearing so far. Explosive is a little bit of an exciting term for for what's happening, but sure, let's say explosive. He's, so, uh, to give you a little bit of, I think that's what that's what Wolf always called Wolf Blitzer on CNN with their big background. I mean, they all do it. All the networks with their very dramatic fail, uh, um, sound. Right. Well, so to give you uh, an image of this. So Gordon Sondland kind of looks like Ned from Groundhog Day. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so he basically said, we all knew. We Everyone knew what was going on with this call. Trump never explicitly said, give me a quid pro quo. Um, but everyone was in the loop was, was actually his phrase. You know, he, he even uh, looped in ASAP Rocky at hey, one point. Why not? And why I'm wouldn't sure, you? I'm, and I'm sure the whole ASAP mob knew too. Uh, ASAP Ferg. Uh, and uh, Playboy Cardi, I'm Why sure, knew as they? well. Oh, we did a show with Playboy Cardi. That's right, yes, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. So Gordon Sondland, who the hell is this guy and why do you know him, right? He was a Republican mega donor. This guy is one of these shadow government dudes where he just gives a bunch of money to people and uh, hopefully they do the things that he wants. Because he was a Republican mega donor, he became the ambassador to the European Union. That's how these people yes. oftentimes become ambassadors. They're like, they must be really good with people. No, he just lined people's pockets with cash and all of a sudden he became... 
Woo! Yeah, that's an like ambassador. Becoming an ambassador because you have so many Delta Sky Miles. It literally is the exact same system. It's the same credit system <laughs> yes. as that. So this, when I talk about Gordon Sondland, the one thing that I do want to clarify when it comes to people, again, same thing that they did with Robert Mueller. This is like not a hero. It's the same thing they did with uh, Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti's a piece of shit just because Michael Avenatti is a scumbag. Just because he doesn't like Donald Trump does not make them good. Oftentimes, these people are just as bad, but they have information that damages the president. So you're like, okay, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, Gordon Sondland is a absolute slime ball. Yes. There's nothing good about him. And he... Even as he does the right thing, which is tell the truth. He, he does, He's not doing the right thing because he he has goodwill all of a no, sudden. No, no, he, he no, doesn't no. want to go to jail. He's doing the right thing because he knows that he is, he is throwing as many bodies or corpses under the bus as possible so that he cannot, he will escape uh, justice himself. He's just, That's he's, all the, but it is the right thing technically. But why I say. Is it doing the right thing though? It, if you do the wrong oh thing, my you God, go to jail. I'm not trying to defend Gordon Sondland. I'm just saying. That you know when they when at the beginning of the hearing they uh, the Republicans Jim Jordan they start off by saying Mr. Sondland you know today's hearing you're going to be slandered by the Democrats oh. you're you know you're going to hear a lot of mistruths and you're going your name is going to be dragged through the mud and then Gordon Sondland completely flipped it on him and basically now the Republicans have to slander. Sondland themselves they have to they have to bring they have to drag him through the mud just after they apologize for the future dragging of the mud through <laughs> yes. the, by the Democrats I know the theater is uh the theater is a it's a scary place it's a scary place a lot of backstabbing a lot of all good theater has has turns <laughs> strutting and fretting upon the stage absolutely so Sondland what did he do he told lawmakers and this is someone who actually has for a first-hand account, because what was what was the big complaint so far? It's a lot of people who it's, knew someone. It's a game of telephone. Yes, hearsay and hearsay. Third, third party hearsay. You know, not that uh, not that that makes it completely irrelevant, but like Bill Taylor, for example, one of the key points that the Republicans would hammer home was, "Did you meet Donald Trump? Did you know Donald Trump? Were you on the phone call?" The answer to all three of those things is no. So the Republicans are like, everything he says is wrong. But now we actually have someone who is personally involved when it comes to the Zelensky-Donald Trump phone call. So he told for the first time during these public hearings that Trump did press uh, Ukrainian leaders to launch an investigation into Joe Biden and, of course, Joe Biden's kid. And in order to ensure that Zelensky and Ukraine would investigate the Bidens, he dangled over a potential meeting with Zelensky, and Zelensky needed that meeting. And then, of course, we also have the military aid. So Sondland said that Trump, through his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, told, oh my goodness, Rudy Giuliani, told U.S. officials in Kiev that Ukrainian President Zelensky would, quote, be committed to investigations of Burisma and the 2016 elections. And for the first time, Sondland straight up said that there was quid pro quo despite what the notebook of Donald Trump has to say. Right. Did you see that? That was some Donald Trump writes <laughs> like you would imagine Donald Trump writes. Yeah. It's massive letters. He is like his own it's like it's it's amazing how Man, I haven't seen anyone write like that since I was in fourth grade. It was like when you had the huge lines when you were learning to write. He looked I mean he was basically you know, the guy at the end of the Mouth of Madness, in the Mouth of Madness, the H.P. Lovecraft story, where he's like scrawling 
Yeah. Text over a uh, a cell wall, <laughs> laughing it, laughing maniacally in a theater. He, yeah, so it's absolute the, insanity. So the question was, was there quid pro quo? And this is what Sondland said. He said, with regard to the requested White House call and White House meeting, the answer is yes. Now, this is kind of the first time someone uh, so close to the situation just straight up was like, yes, there's there was quid pro quo. Yes, indeed, there was. And of course, he's turning his back on his previous testimony. He go down. He went on to say he had to announce the investigations. He didn't actually have to do them. That's what. Sondland said referring to Zelensky. Now, so this entire thing is just Donald Trump trying to set Zelensky up to go on television, say they're investigating the Bidens, but Trump is so shallow he actually didn't even care if they did. Yes, so there was no start date or end date for an investigation. That's what makes it so clearly a uh, just a signal to intimidate and to deter people from voting uh, for Biden. But the thing that the the sort of the different shape of this testimony from Sondland was the fact that so actually Sondland said there that Trump never explicitly said quid pro quo. That was not those were not the 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 actual directives given by Trump. What he said was, you know, Trump speaks in this mob boss vernacular. He he doesn't explicitly state state things to you, but it was sort of a uh, a matter of you know deducing what trump is trying to say right so even though he didn't say explicitly i want this thing in return for this thing trump has clearly has it has a uh, a history of speaking in this sort of roundabout way even with michael cohen back well, in uh remember when michael cohen was uh giving a hearing he's he said uh trump never told me to lie but in these ways Trump told me to lie to the to the American people. Right, and of course, Michael Cohen is currently not doing too well in jail. Uh, so Donald Trump, when when Travis says he doesn't really speak clearly, he also doesn't necessarily always speak for himself. Uh, in this case, he had Rudy Giuliani sort of be Donald Trump's mouthpiece, sort of be his own brain. Donald Trump opened up his hair, took out his brain, uh, and slammed it into the bald skull that is Rudy Giuliani. So Giuliani was demanding quid pro quo, and he did that by saying there will be no White House visit for Ukraine's new president until Kiev agreed to publicly announce the investigations, again, into the Bidens. Uh, Sondland testified that Energy Secretary Rick Perry and former special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, worked with Giuliani on Ukraine matters at, quote, at the express direction of the president of the United States. Trump would often tell those people to talk to Rudy Giuliani. So Donald Trump kind of wanted to give himself a little bit of a Giuliani buffer. Yeah. And who doesn't love a Giuliani buffer? So then he can say, hey, look, no quid pro quo, no quid pro quo. I don't know why he sounds like that, but he does. And uh, in order to do that, uh, he went through Rudy Giuliani, which, again, is why everyone that Donald Trump knows goes to jail. Another And Rudy Giuliani, yes. he might just be following in that footstep. Absolutely, yeah. We'll, we'll, we're saying goodbye to Giuliani, eventually, for some reason. Uh, but uh, one of the, another interesting detail from Sondland's testimony was the sort of extent to which everyone was in the loop, as he said. And that was, right. you know, before the Zelensky-Trump phone call, everyone you know sort of uh, directly involved in this whole uh, operation they were emailed 
instructions basically outlining quid pro quo. Yes. <laughs> basically outlining what what is the purpose of this call? Well, it's to it's to make Zelensky go on uh, and and publicly announce an investigation. Yes. So everyone was like CC'd on a criminal conspiracy. You're gonna want to BCC on that one. Yes. Uh, and so who did the email go out to? Again, it went out to Rick Perry. It went out to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and it went out to Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, along with a few other Donald Trump officials. Now, Mick Mulvaney, speaking of uh, people that Donald Trump uh, may be trying to screw over at some point, I don't think he's in Trump's good graces. He has not been kept in the loop. The chief of staff for Donald Trump, that's a nightmare job. I don't think I would ever, I know for a fact I would never want that job, but even people who were chief of staffs back in the day, like they would never, ever want to be chief of staff to Donald Trump because he is his own monster and he will never, ever listen to any advice, uh, even if it comes from someone who is respectable. Of course, that's not the case with Mick Mulvaney, so it really doesn't matter. In the email, then-candidate Zelensky, so this is still when he was a candidate to become a leader of Ukraine, wanted a phone call from Trump and was prepared to announce an investigation and that, quote, he'd turn over every stone. Mulvaney responded, I asked the NCS to set it up for tomorrow. That same day, Volker sent a WhatsApp message to the diplomat in Ukraine, that's Bill Taylor, and Sondland stated that he had that he just had breakfast with Giuliani, and this is a quote. This is what Volker texted. He said, "Most important is for Zelensky to say that he will help investigation." So that was the text. Most important is for Zelensky to say that he will help investigation. It's extremely so. embarrassing that all of this is happening over WhatsApp. I know, buddy. It's like, I, the whole future is so stupid. They might as well be doing TikTok and like singing songs that you have to like figure out what the lines actually mean. Yeah, it's like who knew that our our the the next impeachment in our history would involve like Snapchat oh and my God, it's just TikTok. We have a, it's a TikTok conspiracy. It's so dumb. And also, when it comes to Giuliani, and this is sort of the last thing from the big testimony today with Sondland, and, you know, it is significant stuff. And, again, going back uh, in my conversation with Mike Larson, uh, we talk about, are, is this resonating with the American people? Certainly people are paying attention, but are they making sense of it? The one thing I think we can all make sense of is that every single diplomat thought Giuliani was a trauma character. Every single person was like, he is toxic. He is like, he is a toxic Avenger of yes. politics, uh, minus the attributes that made Toxic Avenger a hero. This is a quote. Sondland said, this is his assessment of Giuliani. He says, we weren't happy with the president's directive to talk with Rudy. We do not want to involve Mr. Giuliani. He goes on to say, I believed then, as I do now, that the men and women of the State Department, not the president's personal lawyer, should take responsibility for Ukraine matters. Uh, so everyone agrees, like, why the hell? Why are you here, Rudy? What are you doing here? This is not your job. And of course, he was there to be the mouthpiece for Donald Trump. And you can see in the in the WhatsApps, in the texts, Oh, by the way, all the texts all, all start with, had a great lunch. That was a delicious lunch. They have uh, a lot of lunches. Amazing lunch. Yeah. That, bre that bread bowl was uh, on uh, fantastic. Like, it, it's Ooh. all it's all lunch talk. And then it gets right into uh, the, the fact that a giant scandal is happening. But all of the, the texts and the WhatsApps and everything, they seem to indicate that there is a, like, an office breakdown, like a communication breakdown in their office. They, because uh, Bill Taylor 
not really sure if he's supposed to be regarding Giuliani as like a co-worker or like official person that that is designating stuff they uh they refer to mike pompeo as s you know like it's just a lot of like clearly you guys need to have a meeting you need to yes. get, you need to book a room at the ramada inn and like have a convention center and like really just talk out your problems and figure out who is what is the chain of command here because there clearly was like I mean, you're you're doing diplomacy through WhatsApp. Like, yes. get 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 your shit together. And even John Bolton, who you know, total warhawk, total scumbag. That's the problem with all of these people. Like, they also like I don't like them either. And again, the enemy of my enemy is not always my friend. They can also still be my enemy. Uh, but this is according to John Bolton. This is how he characterized Giuliani. He said. He is a hand grenade who would ultimately, quote, blow everybody up. <laughs> George Kent, a top diplomat in Kiev, testified the last week that Giuliani had, quote, orchestrated a campaign of lies. No one likes Rudy Giuliani and everyone knows uh, why he is there to both be a snitch on behalf of Donald Trump and also uh, to be a bitch if, if, on behalf of Donald Trump. If Bolton is a hand grenade, then Giuliani is like a dirty bomb, though. Like, for real. I mean, they're both, yes, they're, well, honestly, John Bolton would take that as a compliment. Well, Sondland, Sondland was saying, like, I, you know, there's so many, like, weird, snipey little things. Like, obviously. They all hate each other. Sondland is, yeah, is trying to, like, you know, throw everyone under the bus. But when it came to Bolton, uh, he was trying to sort of, because Bolton is saying, like, oh, I, I, I didn't want to be involved in this drug deal. I, I wanted to sort of, like, be try to take the noble route but Sondland is also like no I actually don't remember that part I don't remember Bolton uh ever speaking up or like shutting things down actually Bolton was uh, very much on board the entire time so it's funny to see all these men scramble to uh give each other different headstones yes it, it really is amazing and it just shows you again um that the people who crave power are oftentimes not the most, oh, I don't know, I want to say um, not moral. Yeah, maybe moral um, or mm, what's that when you can't be trusted? When you, they have no backbone. Yeah. They have they the only thing they want is to maintain their power, which is why we see the Republicans doing everything the Republicans are doing now to defend Donald Trump. These people are just simply selfish, self-centered, egomaniacs that as soon as they feel the heat as soon as they feel pressure that bus gets bumpy because they're throwing a whole bunch of bodies underneath it so ultimately i mean sonlin as grimy as a dude as he is he is now i think a huge key witness in all of this because he's he is one of the inner circle guys uh and he is it seems to have he seems to have flipped completely on trump and now trump of course tweet has tweeted out he doesn't know the guy he doesn't know um him. but I mean, going forward, they are now the Republicans have to deal with this thing, which is it's been confirmed that this happened. People knew about it. But because Sondland said Trump never explicitly stated the words, go do this crime. That's the Republicans defense now. And what the American yes. people have to know is like, yes, he didn't say. Have you ever have you ever been inferred something? Have you ever presumed something because somebody is bearing down on you? That is the type of communication that is happening here yes. with trump it's like if someone is coffee next to you and you happen to have a lozenge you give them the lozenge because yeah. you've inferred that they may need a lozenge and that their throat yeah. is a little scratchy but we will see what happens with that uh, again when it comes to the republicans i also think they're going to be 
as more information comes to light, I think they're also going to go with the Roger Stone defense with who cares? Does anyone care? Does, is it a big deal? Um, and then, of course, the Roger know. Stone defense is looking damn sharp, actually. <laughs> well, yes, it is. OK, so that is it. So Gordon Sondland testified in front of the impeachment inquiry. Uh, interesting testimony. The American people, I think, are interested in it. Uh, is it going to be a key decider in 2020? Who knows? But. It is extremely likely that we will have a impeached president running for the highest office in the land that he currently uh, occupies. And it is extremely possible um, that we will see uh, Donald Trump use the impeachment as the cornerstone of his political campaign, which is the, the ultimate irony of this entire thing is Donald Trump is leaning in. And uh, it's it's both sides are using impeachment. And the question is, where wh- what side of this sword is sharp? Yeah, it's an impeachment chicken. It, it's it, the impeachment chicken. Yeah. And also, just lastly here, I want to talk. We're moving on from the impeachment here. I want to talk about Joe Biden. Okay. Okay. So did you see this, Travis? Uh, the, the marijuana the, 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 is a gateway the, drug. The reefer madness. The reefer madness. I didn't realize that people still held that opinion. I did not, when it comes to marijuana being a gateway drug, it was one of the most ridiculous things I have heard in a very long time, and probably one of the most out-of-touch things I have heard Joe Biden say, and he has said a lot of things that are out of touch. But this gets every every single... Uh, there are so many reasons why this is wrong. Number one, uh, if you look at the economics behind marijuana, states that do it the right way, Colorado, for example, it is doing very well. Uh, When it comes to the opioid epidemic, uh, marijuana is helping save a lot of people's lives, getting them off of opioids. When it comes to the criminal industrial complex, uh, marijuana oftentimes a reason why people will get their car searched. It's not always, you know, I saw a lot of people being like, "Mm, it's a lie that people are in prison for marijuana. That's only about um, 15% are in there for drugs and about 3% of those are for marijuana. The problem is the gateway that marijuana is is the gateway that a cop is now going to be able to use to search your car because it smells like weed. Or in the case of Philando Castile, the reason that he was shot by uh, Geronimo in in Minneapolis was because the car smelled like weed. And he said, if a man would smoke weed in the car with a child or smell like weed in a car with a four-year-old, I don't know, he might shoot me. So when it comes to marijuana... It's not just the people who are in jail specifically for marijuana. It's the people can be stopped. They can be searched. They can be frisked. They can have a whole series of their constitutional rights violated because of marijuana. That's the gateway. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If, if, and if you are so feeble-minded to think that Joe Biden has actual progressive views, I mean, you just have to realize that is, that is a facade that he is putting on for just because the the – the candidate lineup is happens to be a little bit more left than usual. This is, okay, so Joe Biden, he is, to be fair, he has always been against marijuana legalization. The same way he was against gay marriage, he evolved on that issue and I guess devolved on the marijuana issue. This is what he had to say regarding his position and if it had changed. He says, but let me tell you the truth of the matter is, there's not nearly been enough evidence that has been acquired as to whether or not it's it's a gateway drug. He goes on to say, it's a debate and I want a lot more. Before I legalize it nationally, I want to make sure we know a lot more about the science behind it. This debate has been going on for so long. I think the debate is closed. Now, I am not saying 
that marijuana doesn't mess with your brain. That's why I like to smoke a little bit of it. I'm not saying you should get behind the wheel and, and drive all stoned. This whole idea that, oh, it's, you know, it's really nothing. It is something. It is just like alcohol or tobacco. It does do something. But the audacity for him to be like, it's a gateway drug. The number one gateway drug in this country, yeah, it's the, I firmly believe, you is know alcohol. It, you know what it's a gateway drug to? It's a gateway drug to being on The Masked Singer because Cheech Marin was on this first season of The Masked Singer, and that's what we did for him, okay? This is what he goes on to say. He says, it's not irrational to do more scientific investigations to determine, which we have not done significantly enough, whether or not there are any things that relate to whether it's a gateway drug or not. I don't know enough. To know whether it is. Why did we then have the war on drugs? Did they, they weren't doing any research? Were they not doing any? It was just a, a oh, it was just about locking up poor people. Joe, I understand. Joe Biden wants to get it on the magic school bus and go inside of a joint to figure out the science behind weed. Okay, this is according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's website. Uh, they say the majority of people who use marijuana do not go on to use other quote unquote harder drugs they do say we need more research uh, which i think is totally fine um but there is nothing that says that you go on to use more you don't you go on to use a bunch of cocaine or heroin because you smoked a joint and again i firmly believe just through my experience alcohol is the ultimate gateway drug yeah alcohol is is so dangerous um i speak from experience it is so dangerous and it is so uh crazy that it is suffused so deeply into our culture that we can't even really talk about alcohol without people getting upset about the, at the prospect of it being sort of more regulated or something. And this is how Joe Biden is attempting to do this tight rope walk. He says he's not prepared to, quote, push for the legalization, but he says medical marijuana, yes, but the legalization of marijuana for recreational use is in, is in fact is one that I need more data to make that judgment. But then he says, but no one should go to jail for it. But that's not really the way it works. If you don't uh, decriminalize or legalize, the only punishment that our system has is a punitive one, and that is jail. So yeah. if there's you no, there's Biden and the people that support him are not going to be flexible about this. There is no flexibility to well, this to this sort of. If you are in the year 2019 and you still are confused about this, then I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. you know, like my mom. You know, I asked her to come visit me in New York City, and she won't. Because she's too afraid. Because she said to me, Travis, isn't that where 9-11 happened? Isn't and I, that? And I go, you know what? Technically, you're right. Stay stay right there. Don't, yep. don't come over here. But but Biden is never going to move away from that position. And also the people who support him are, you know, the fucking oatmeal-brained people that will not... I, it, you can throw as much science at them as possible, but it's also a... It's a generational thing, I think. Yeah, it's a boomer thing. Because so we just got to just leave Biden in his fucking rocker and then just move away from it. You know, uh, 9-11, of course, was the gateway drug to forever war. That is, is that, see, that is the real do not do 9-11 and drug. Um, no, definitely do not. Yeah, I'm just not sure exactly who he is. Uh, I don't I don't really see just how this is a political winner. I really don't, because I think as a country. Even the boomer generation, those are the ones, when it comes to the opioid epidemic, there's a lot of boomers. Is, it, a lot of older people with, with, with arthritis, with MS, uh, with a whole series of uh, crippling ailments as you get older, your, your body breaks down. I'm not breaking any news here, but the news that is breaking is that marijuana can actually help. And the fact that Joe Biden still holds on to this view... 
you know, I mean, again, in a binary decision, I think uh, we need change in Washington. Uh, but when it comes to this Democratic primary, I just feel like Joe Biden is not doing himself too many favors. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. The fact that we have like cheeky wine mom culture where it's like, I'll have another glass of rosé just to sort of wind down and not the same sort of thing about weed. Weed actually, like like you said, it it will help people who are in pain. I've never like uh, opened up a bottle of wine thinking like this will this will improve my situation. Well, unless of course you're at a steakhouse. That's um, true. But so public opinion on marijuana, it's interesting because it's almost completely flipped. So back in 1969, 84% of Americans wanted to keep it illegal, only 12% wanted to keep it or, or wanted to make it legal. Uh, you move on to 1979, 66% were like make it illegal, keep it illegal. 30% were like, legalize it. Then we had an interesting dip in 1989 after the the Reagan era, after the war on drugs era, after the massive marketing that marijuana uh, was the most dangerous drug in the world and it's going to make your kids gay. 81% of Americans wanted to keep it illegal and 18% wanted to make it legal. And then as we go forward into the uh, 2000s, it has a steady incline. Uh, in 1999, 63% wanted to keep it illegal, 31% make it legal. 2006, 60% keep it illegal, 32% make it legal. And by 2019, it has flipped to 67% want to make it legal, and only 32% want to keep it illegal. So it's a really interesting transition when it comes to marijuana. And the reason that that flip has occurred over these past 40 years, slowly but surely, is because the data backs it up. It's the whole point. So Senator Bernie Sanders, he actually tweeted a response to this. This is according to Bernie. He said, the American people are united on, an issue, on issue after issue. We must legalize marijuana now and expunge all past marijuana convictions as a matter of racial and economic justice. Uh, Kamala Harris, who, by the way, I don't Kamala Harris might as well she holds the same view as Joe Biden yeah absolutely. this woman locked men up and locked women up locked children up for marijuana for many years so I these are shallow words but she did say let's be clear marijuana isn't a gateway drug and should be legalized glad to see my bill with Representative Nadler take the next step in the house this week so as this Democratic primary continues uh, we will continue to see differences between Joe Biden and uh, his Democratic rivals. Obviously, Andrew Yang also went on CNN, was like, you got to legalize it. My yeah. understanding is Elizabeth Warren is for decriminalization at the very least. Uh, so I, I'm just not exactly sure what political points Biden thought he was going to be winning here. Now, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember the article that this was blasted out in, but this certainly isn't something that he's leading with. See, he, this, this is no. a response to something. This was, I believe it was a town hall type setting. So somebody was like, asking him about this this is not like hey i just want to let everyone know i'm anti-weed like yes. this is not something that he is uh strongly trying to promote uh for his campaign yes. i and, would imagine and even if the federal government doesn't legalize it federally for all 50 states i think they still need to decriminalize it and you know the states that want to legalize can legalize but you'll be surprised a lot of these poor southern states they are going to start legalizing they're going to start changing over their crop from tobacco to marijuana, it is happening uh, quicker than a lot of people think. Because, you know, everyone talks about, everyone's like, oh, they're rednecks or whatever. Um, let's just say the term redneck, even though it might be offensive to some, I don't know. But they smoke a lot of weed. 
Everyone smokes weed. Have you been to the South? Yeah, I'm from Georgia. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Those, those well, boys you know, with the Confederate flags, things would they're, change. they're smoking a bunch of weed. Things would change pretty crazily if, if weed was legal. Like, uh, most, most of the black men in the state would not be in jail. Yes. And so let's get to this interview with Mike Larson. I learned something from this conversation that I did not realize, and that's regarding gerrymandering. So listen for that. It's pretty early on in our conversation, and I, I just found this to be a really interesting uh, talk with this guy. I don't know if he's going to win or not win. I don't know. But again, it's great to talk to people who are getting involved, and it's great to talk to people who are on the ground. So the uh, 4th Congressional District of Ohio, if you live there, uh, check out Mike Larson. Uh, make your decision. And of course, hopefully we can get Jim Jordan out of there because the man is doing nothing positive at all, and all he's doing is being an obstructionist and not supporting the people uh, that he promised to support. So here is my conversation with Mike Larson. And listen for uh, the gerrymandering conversation because from a criminal justice point of view, it, it made me, it really made me upset. I mean, it was right, Travis? Yeah, absolutely. And you'll, you'll hear why. So enjoy this conversation again with candidate for Ohio's fourth congressional district, Mike Larson. All right, everyone, now it's time for my conversation with Mike Larson. He is running against Jim Jordan. You know him, you love him. He doesn't wear a jacket, Jim Jordan, because he's one of the people. That's what he does. That's his big, I'm one of the people I don't wear a blazer. This is the fourth congressional district in Ohio. Mike Larson is running against Jim Jordan, so I wanted to speak with him here on the show and let our audience know what Mr. Larson is all about. So, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you have a storied career in the entertainment industry and in politics. Uh, you were a producer for one of my favorite shows because it starred a woman named Mimi Bobeck, oh, who was yeah. from my hometown of Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. That, of course, was the Drew, Care the Drew Carey show. And then you also wrote for Bill Maher. Uh, you've been around the block when it comes to Hollywood. And now you are taking up, uh, you are in a very con competitive Democratic primary with the intention of going against uh, Jim Jordan and unseating Jim Jordan and bringing the Congressional 4th District back into the Democrats' hands. So, Mike, how is the campaign going? Good. And uh, just kind of give an overhead. Well, let's just start with that. How's the campaign going? How's the grassroots? What, what are people telling you? Well, I can't say we would be bringing it back to the Democrats because I don't think it ever has been. Um, uh, this is a district that is, uh, if you look at a map, it looks like a giant duck. It was mm. this crazy gerrymandered district for to keep Jordan in office. Uh, last year, I helped out the woman who was the Democrat running against him. Okay. So that kind of got me to meet all the local party chairs and the union leaders and that sort of stuff, local press. So that set me up pretty good for this year. When it comes to, and then we'll get to that, but I want to focus on that briefly when it comes to gerrymandering. You say it looks like a duck. Obviously, you look at the districts all across this country, and they look like these aren't, they're, they're, they're very artistic. It's like looking at clouds. Some look right. like an elephant, a dog licking out of yeah, a dog bowl. Like a horseshack. Yeah, exactly. They're just very abstract. Right. Do you have any insight into how the district became so gerrymandered that now it looks like a duck, and how much more difficult does that make your job when it comes to unseating Jim Jordan? So the reason it was drawn specifically this way 
Jordan is incredibly unpopular even among Republicans. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the biggest Republicans from the state, like John Kasich and John Boehner, hate the guy. So they, they drew him this district where they avoided any, you know, urban populations. Uh-huh. Um, but it specifically has these weird lines that go out to capture prisons that are nearby. So if there's a prison in your district, uh-huh. those inmates are counted against your population to determine, uh, you know, your your district. But, of course, they're not allowed to vote. So Whoa. it's this. It, and in the cases where they can vote, sometimes if they're being held like on pretrial detention, they have to vote based on where they used to live before they went to prison. So it's and so in fact, wow. Pretty much every prison in America is represented by very very right-wing white men because they use these for the, for their gerrymander. It, it's it's ridiculous. But that is absolutely fascinating. I didn't actually know that. It seems to me that if you don't have the right to vote, maybe you should not be counted in the district as as a as a voting constituent if you don't have the right to vote. So that just plays into and I know your campaign has addressed a lot of this when it comes to the systemic problems facing our country. Mm-hmm. That to me is just a massive uh example of systemic gerrymandered um this is just taking away our democracy. That is really astonishing. Think about where these guys come from. They're, pre- they're predominantly, you know, African-American or Latino men who are taken out of usually inner cities as far as uh, those places being represented. And they're counted in favor of Jim Jordan, a guy who votes against their interests every day. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's just another another way, you know, the Republican Party figured out a way to, to screw people of color. You know, it's like, hey, here's another thing we can do to them. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. So as far as winning this district, though, this is what's really fascinating this year. There's this uh, Republican county official, very well-known, uh, very wealthy, who just announced actually yesterday that he's going to run in November as an independent. Okay. So suddenly – it's a three-way race, and Democrats usually get around 40% in this district. So in a three-way race, 40% is a good number. Uh, so yeah. we could very well find us you know, coming out of the primary in March in a pretty much a three-way dead heat because this guy is no slouch. This, this guy running, I think he was the former president of the Farm Bureau or something, mm. and pissed at Jordan and Trump because of the trade war. Right. You know. Well, I mean, absolutely. We can definitely talk about that as well. When it comes to Jim Jordan, um, I think people are starting to recognize a lot of the economic policies that they promised to make America great again are just simply making it um, unsustainable for hardworking Americans that they promised to uh, protect. Are you seeing the district, when it comes to farmers specifically, the trade war is screwing over so many uh, family farms, so many small businesses, People don't realize how important it is to have free trade when it comes to a carpentry business, for example. Are you are you finding a lot of contempt when it comes to people that maybe went for Trump, maybe went for Jim Jordan, and who are now looking for an alternative? I think so. I mean, you certainly do in pockets. So the, the soybean industry is pretty much gone. It's not coming back. You ask farmers, they say, you know, 
Brazil and Australia already moved into that market in, with China. Right. Uh, so that and that's you know in the Midwest it's, you're basically you're, you're rotating corn and soybeans each year. You uh -huh. know, so half of that is gone. They have to find another crop to rotate in. But two things that that I like talking to uh, farmers about. One is climate change. Even though there are Republicans, no one knows climate change like farmers. Yep. You know, they, they know the temperature of their soil. They know that there's less water there than there used to be. Their aquifers have dried up. Uh, so I, I really enjoy talking to them in a way where I'm not blaming. You know, sometimes the left, we, we have a way of blaming people. You know, you yes. caused it. And my attitude is it's too late for who, who caused it. I don't care who caused it. we got to fix it. Right. Uh, and so I start by asking farmers, you tell me, tell me how we can fix this. Um, and they, boy, they'll talk your ear off. They, they know all about that. And then the other thing that's huge is uh, rural broadband. There, there's in so right. many small towns, there's the Internet service. A lot of them are still on dial up. And if you, you know, you mentioned a, a, a carpenter, if you're a if you're a, a, a small businessman in one of these towns, you, you can't compete. You know, no one can even access your website. Right. So, and that is a federal project. So, so you know, uh, you know, the, the internet companies, it costs them the same to run a cable twenty miles to a town with a hundred people or to a town with a hundred thousand people. Right. Uh, so, we need the federal government to come in and, and get the broadband to those communities, and then the companies can, you know, take it to the houses. And it's being done now all over the country. The difference is Jim Jordan doesn't believe in the federal government. So he refuses to fight for our share of federal money because right. it doesn't it would it would work against his brand. You know, if the federal government did something good, he can't go around and tell people how evil it is. Right. So, you know, uh when it comes to the coalition that the Republican Party has been able to form, because you, you hit on something that I that I want to talk about here. Farmers have been on the front lines of the changing of the climate for a long time. Yep. And many farmers, believe it or not, are actually very much, for all intents and purposes, environmentalists. Yep. They, they care about the environment. They care about clean water. And the Republican Party was like, okay, yeah, you're an environmentalist. But then they tie in the Second Amendment, they tie in assault rifles, they tie in all of these social issues, and they're like, yeah, maybe you are a little bit more of an environmentalist, but let's look at X, Y, and Z, and this Absolutely. is how you create this coalition. Absolutely. I mean, hunters tend to be environmental. You know, the people Absolutely. who spend their time outside want the water to be clean and the air to be breathable. Those are the people who are actually in it. You know, the <laughs> people who are environmentalists in New York uh, and Los Angeles Right. We, I haven't seen a, a stream in, in 30 years unless I got too hammered and had to pee on the street, you know. I have one in my backyard here. <laughs> so when it comes to reaching those people, I, yeah. I love that you are um, going out and actually talking to them because it's not like, and, and you made a good point as well, like sometimes the left will just be like, they're lost, demonize them, they're, they're the problem. But in reality, they're victims in, in, a, in a sense as well. Of, right. of just being right. wrapped up in a narrative that has lost control of the thing that matters to them, which in many yeah. cases would be the environment. Absolutely. So I make the comparison, you know, in the 1940s, when we, th we thought we were going to lose World War II if we didn't have a nuclear bomb. So we started the Manhattan Project and threw everything the government had to, to solving that problem. Right. So we can certainly 
that's what I would like to see us do. I would like to see us have a Manhattan Project type effort for climate change, um, starting with farmers and yep. scientists. And, you know, and I, I like say if we if we could harness all of America's resources in order to to destroy the world, we should be able to do it to save it. Yeah. So yeah, and people are responsive to that. You know, again, I start with saying, no, you got to be the first one at the table. We're we're not gonna a bunch of, you know, academics from Harvard aren't gonna come and tell you how to, how you have to farm. We we need you at the table to tell us. Yes. And have you heard anything when it comes to farmers? And we can move on, but I just I find it to be an interesting subset of people because oftentimes they're also used as an example of a real American. You know, they're used as like, you know, we think about the farmers and obviously now I believe agriculture, it's about maybe two or three percent of the workforce are actually farmers. The factory farms have taken over. Uh, Monsanto has devastated a lot of, 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 of local farms, but they're still used as like the example of a pull your pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of American hero. So when it comes to when it comes to uh, large corporations coming in and dictating how they can farm, what products they can use. And a lot of times these products that they're using are causing a lot of runoff and yeah. it's sort of having this negative effect on clean water and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel as if there's a, a way to kind of go in there and address some of the anger that they have as they see their farms being devastated by companies like Monsanto or being devastated by the competition that these massive factory farms provide. Are you seeing that anger well up and that anger being directed towards the Republicans? And are they looking for uh, another option? And do you think that anger will take them to the polls and potentially vote for Mike Larson? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to say because a lot of times people believe in a a whole lot of things, but then they vote against abortion. You know, they they vote. and, And the thing I point out is that Congress has very little to do with abortion. Now, your state legislator, they, they vote on it all the time. Right. But Congress, other than defunding Planned Parenthood, there's just not much in the federal government. Meanwhile, these guys are robbing you blind. Right. And a guy like Jordan, 12 years he's been in Congress, he has authored zero pieces of legislation. He actually told the newspaper that he didn't go to Washington to pass laws. He's just there for the toxic partisanship. That's all he is interested in is being this little attack dog, you know? Um, So one of the things with, with farmers, so uh, there's a big problem every year in Lake Erie with the algae bloom Mm -hmm. and from fertilizer runoff, particularly potassium that runs off farms. Uh, So there is a way of, of injecting this potassium deeper into the soil. So it doesn't run off. Mm. Um, Problem is, the uh, machines to do it are really expensive, you know, and it might be something they would only use once or twice a season. So uh, one of the programs that I'm talking to a guy about is, uh, again, having the government give grants to counties to buy one of these machines and then have it available for the farmers to use. They don't need to park it in their barn all year. Right. So uh, that's one of the things I've actually been talking to one of the farmers here who brought that idea to me. And I was like, yeah, that, there's an easy solution. Absolutely. Well, so a lot of people might know Jim Jordan now more than they did previously. And right. we can talk a little bit about his scandals as well regarding, you know, being a high school wrestling coach, some sexual abuse occurred and uh, he didn't perhaps he turned a blind eye. But I want to yeah. focus more on you here to start yeah. with um, when it comes to Jim Jordan 
obviously, again, more successful now because of the impeachment, uh, the, the, the television show that it yeah. is on cable news. Uh, he's screaming a bunch and doing these kinds of things. When it comes to what you would do in these situations, do you what do you think about the impeachment inquiry? What do you think about where we're going with that? Do you think, do you think the Democrats have been smart in their impeachment inquiry uh, sort of you know hearing phase, or what, what are your thoughts? I think well, I think uh, Nancy Pelosi had it right early on when people were saying impeach, impeach, and saying you know, we got to wait, we got to wait until if something rises to that level. So I I thought that was smart. You know, Trump showed us, remember all of this stuff, the Ukraine thing um, just happened this summer. So Trump, who knew that, that the Democrats were looking for something, and then he went out and did something that on the face of it is clearly corrupt to ask a government to invest investigate your opponent i mean even donald trump would know that so it it seems like it got to the point where he was just flouting it so much that they kind of had to now one thing i like to say so i worked in congress and one of my former bosses on the intelligence committee with jim jackie spear okay jackie spear is to me the gold standard of congress people she uh holds uh town hall meetings at least once a month in her district uh, Jim Jordan hasn't done one in 10 years. Wow. You know, when I worked for her, she had me working with uh, uh, members of the armed services who'd been sexually assaulted in uniform. And I sat down with each of them and helped them, like, tell their story for congressional testimony. Um, it was a brutal job. To, right. You know, it's just, you know, uh, but awesome also that I had that opportunity um, but those are the types of things she t- takes on. She takes on the hard battles, you know. Um, so very often when people, you know, ask how I'm different, that's one thing I say. Go look up my, my old boss and then look up our congressman and you can see how different I'm going to be. Right. But part of it is this is just listening. You know, he doesn't. If you think of Jim Jordan, all you always picture him standing in front of a bank of microphones or on Fox News Right. Uh, and always talking, always flapping his yap. Um, and so, in fact, our slogan for our campaign is politicians talk, leaders listen. Right. But I, I just stress that when I have like, you know, meetings in people's homes, I talk for maybe 10 minutes and then I say, you guys tell me, you know, that's where like I, I mean, people tell me things like about the potassium thing. I think. Awesome. You know, I learned something great by listening to people. Man, I got to tell you, that is refreshing to hear. And that is what it's all about is listening. Um, yeah. Because people, yeah, you just don't, you don't know what you don't know. And if you're not listening, you're going to be wondering wh- wh- how you missed the mark. And you won't even know how, how you missed it. So when it yeah. comes, my, my my one, because I, I follow politics very, very closely. Okay. And even for me, the impeachment inquiry because we're not seen, we don't get to, we don't have a camera in the skiff room, you know. Right. Even for me, it's like, who are these players? Okay, who is everyone trying to keep it organized? I feel like I'm on an episode of True Detective. I'm tying strings around different thumbtacks. Pictures are everywhere. Are you finding the impeachment situation? Is it resonating with the people in the Fourth Congressional District of Ohio, or is that something where they're like, how is this affecting me? 
Honestly, um, you know, when you're running for office, unfortunately, you tend to talk to people who are really interested in politics. Right. You know, and that's not the the, the norm. You, no. You know, so the people I talk to, yes, they're paying attention one side or the other. Um, I don't know how much, you know, it used to be people saying, oh, and you know, Watergate, 80 percent of the country listened or watched the hearings. It's like, yeah, because they had no choices. Right. They had three channels and it was on all, all three channels. Exactly. Uh, you know, um, so I don't know. You know, one of the things that is disappointing for me is how tribal politics has gotten. It's it's like, yeah. you know, you know, we we're talking before I'm a. I'm a Warriors fan. It's almost like your party is your hometown team mm-hmm. and the other one sucks, you know? Yeah. So you, it's hard to kind of get over that uh, with people, Yeah. which again, for me, um, is listening to them. You know, I, a woman stopped me at a grocery store yesterday um, and she recognized me and she went on and on about how, you know, liberals are ruining the country and we're going to turn it into socialism. And I just, I just stood there and let her tire herself out and then said, hey, thank you. What's your name? Thank you. Very much. Nice to meet you. You know, she was you could see she was kind of impressed that I didn't, you know, get mad at her or something. Well, you know, and and it's hard for a lot of people to cut through all of the noise and all of the messaging. You know, we travel around all the time now. And I'm in my hotel rooms and we don't get a lot of political ads here in New York or in Los Angeles because, you know, these are one party towns. But when you travel around to places like Ohio. The messaging is very intense when it comes to the Democrats want to be socialists and when it comes to, you know, a lot of the pro-Donald Trump ads will be using the impeachment as a example of the Democrats trying to undermine our democratic process. Of course, the irony is what we talked about earlier regarding gerrymandering, how the Republicans are just so much better at it. It's like ridiculous. So it is hard for people to know what's truth and what's not truth. And now, now more than ever before, it seems. I had a guy ask me if I was a socialist, and uh, I he was like seventy years old, and I was like, "By any chance, are you a farmer or a veteran?" And he said both. And I said, "So you get how many government checks every month? You get your Medicare, you get your uh, Social Security, you get veterans benefits, you get the Trump bailout for your farm." It's like I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but I am saying that's socialism, right. and you seem to love it. And yeah. it, it got like a big, uh, a big applause in the, in the thing. And even he, after it came over and he said, uh, oh, that was a pretty good answer, <laughs> you know? Right. But people get tied up in these. They want to put a label on you, you know, they, uh, and everyone does it. You know, people, you know, I describe myself as a progressive. I always have been. It doesn't mean someone else might also be, I, you know, it, it, it's, even that, I sometimes think, I, I do I even need that label? Can I just be Mike Larson who wants to be your congressman? <laughs> right. You know? No, absolutely, because once you have a label, then all of a sudden people just sort of infer whatever they want to infer right. about that label, and then it's like, then you almost have to unravel what they think that label is, and then before you know it, you've wasted an hour of time before getting to substance. Or you, Right, or you have to take the title. You have to say, when I say healthcare is a basic human right. They say, then you're for Medicare for all. And it's like, I want everyone to have good healthcare when they get, when they need it. That's what I want. Medicare for all is now a title we have put on a specific plan by Bernie Sanders. And I'm honest, I have not read the entire plan, but I'm probably for most of that. I just don't want to necessarily sign or like the green new deal. I'm sure I have not read the whole thing. I've read 
synopses of it and most of it makes sense to me, but it's a goal. It's not like, you know, people say, oh, you're not going to be able to eat cheeseburgers anymore. It's like, yeah, no, 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 cheeseburgers are not mentioned. I don't know, Mike. I heard they're coming for my burgers. And if they (laughs) even think about coming for my burgers, I'll give them my gun before I give them my burger. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Tis the season to elect benefits through your workplace. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. Most people know open enrollment as decision time for health care coverage, but it's also the perfect time to reassess your life life insurance needs. To properly provide for their families, most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage than they get through their jobs, which means that your employer life insurance is leaving you underinsured. That's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for a life insurance plan that's not tied to your job. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. The life insurance you buy through Policy Genius stays with you, even if you leave your job. And Policy Genius doesn't just make it easy to get life insurance. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance and disability insurance, too. So when you're looking at your workplace benefits this month, make sure to double check your life insurance options. Then go to policygenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. So when it comes to listening, uh, you're out there. Again, we are speaking with Mike Larson. He is a Democratic candidate in the Congressional 4th District of Ohio. If he wins the Democratic primary, he will be going against uh, Representative Jim Jordan, who, again, I think is, we'll see what happens, but I, be, I I believe he is vulnerable. What are the top issues? If you just go out door to door, you're knocking on the door, what are some of the bullet point issues? And maybe we can explore some of your answers when it comes to answering those uh, questions that people might have about said issues that you're hearing. What are some of the first things that people bring up to you? Not surprising. It is uh, climate change, income inequality, health care, and uh, guns. Interesting. And specifically guns. I have – I had an op-ed run before I was even running about, uh, you know, that if a weapon is made for the battlefield, civilians have no business owning them. Uh, so what's you know. the, let's let's stick with the two-way for a second here uh, because obviously, you know, we had the, the Brady Bill. We had a semi-assault rifle ban that was allowed to expire under George W. Bush. What are people saying? Because I know you're in the Midwest. It's a hunting community. It's a farmer community. I understand people. It's it's funny when I talk about the Second Amendment here in, in New York City, um, people will be like, well, why would you need any kind of, you know, long gun? If you are a farmer, it's like you tr- probably truly do need one because like animals are real. Believe me, I pet chickens and the raccoons love them. So, yeah, you, <laughs> I don't have a gun. I, 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 I have whacked a couple with a shovel <laughs> but uh no no and no I, and I have no problem with i have no problem with people owning a gun for self-defense or for right. target shooting or anything but guns like the ar-15 and the ak-47 were specifically designed to do what mass shooters do with them right. to shoot into a crowd indiscriminately slaughter a lot of the opposing you know the army and cause wounds that can't be easily repaired so you bleed out right you know getting shot with an ar-15 and being shot with like a 40 caliber or something is an entirely different effect on your body um so i have no problem with saying and saying that it has nothing to do with the second amendment right the, the, 
you know, you, you, there are still many arms you can have, and there are some arms you can't have. That's not, you know, you can't have an, an F-14 fighter jet, but that's an arm. You know, is that is that violating our Second Amendment? You can't have a bazooka or a grenade launcher. Right. You know, it, it's it, – and most people, even gun owners – I'm around here. I live – I mean, people hunt in the field next to my house. I hear gunshots all the time during hunting season. Right. Freaks my wife out, but uh, – <laughs> uh, but most people are cool with that. Most gun owners I've met said, I don't I don't need a assault weapon. Right. Um, you know, interesting point on the assault weapon, though, if you remember. So that was enacted as part of the crime bill. Mm-hmm. And the reason, the reason it passed is because black people were getting them. Right. right. It was the gang wars. They, the only reason people voted for that or that we got a majority was because there were pictures of of, you know, Bloods and Crips and Compton holding holding these guns and suddenly they're too dangerous you know absolutely and it was the same thing with the uh with the sullivan act uh that was in the 19 um and then of course with with california in the 1960s and 70s they passed very strict gun regulations that it seems to all like uh the republican party when it comes to that we're like well we better do it that's right and there's one key difference of course and that's the pigment of the skin of the people who are buying the weapon that's right Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I find in uh, in gun – well, in, in this area, I'm in an area that is becoming suburban but was rural. Like my house was the, the farmhouse for a, probably a 700-acre farm right now. Now I have a few acres and the rest is a subdivision. But uh, I find here that people are – for the, now they're, they are distrustful of the anti-gun people. They right. are – it does not help us. When someone says, well, I'm going to take all your guns. Like Beto. Right, right. And yet I really like Beto's enthusiasm for things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it, it did complicate things for a while there. It really did. I mean, but I feel like people are reasonable. And I know that sounds right. crazy in this world that we live in. But the internet is not real. If you actually talk to people... Obviously, you're going to meet some crazy people, um, but I do think people are reasonable. And if if and at some point, and I was talking about this on an episode a few weeks ago, people do go through phases. So maybe if you're you know 25 years old, you're single, you love you love guns, and so you're like, I got a I got an AR-15, I have an Uzi, I have these weapons, and then next thing you know, five years later, you've met someone, you're starting to have a family, and you're like, I don't need this weapon anymore. I don't want this. I'm like, I'm kind of done with this phase of my life. There does need to be a program where you can get a, not a mandatory buyback, but an optional buyback program. Would you be in favor of something like that? Absolutely. I think, oh yeah, I think even if, if they were outlawed, you would, there would be a buyback program as well. But even if they were outlawed, no one is going to collect guns. It's like, um, it's like, you know, pot is illegal in some places. The police don't search houses for pot, you know, but if they find it on you, they are able to, you know, charge you with something. I don't think, you know, if someone has these guns and they're not an idiot about it, they don't want to open carry it to Walmart and frighten people. Um, I just don't think it, it would be a problem. All, all these responsible gun owners, if they're out in their back 40 shooting at beer cans, I, I just don't think that's ever going to be a problem for people. You right. know, um, certainly who would want the job of taking guns from people is a dangerous job. Well, that that's what I was thinking as soon as O'Rourke <laughs> mentioned mandatory buybacks. I do a show called Last Podcast on the Left, and we've covered, uh, like, Ruby Ridge. We've covered a lot of uh, Waco, Texas. Uh, to me, it, 
that was like, well, that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of violence on the streets of this country and the police are probably going to be on the front lines of those battles and I'm assuming it's not going to be the safest day of work for them. And you would have to depend on local sheriffs to do this. And, you know, most sheriffs I've met um, are not flaming liberals. You know, I just don't see them. (laughs) Um, So I I think that's a great stance on the Second Amendment. When it comes to you, because you mentioned criminal justice reform, obviously the 94 crime bill, which is just atrocious. Three strikes and you're out. Mandatory sentencing. The reason we have the largest prison population of the Western world. Uh, It is just disgusting, destructive and has been so detrimental specifically, as you mentioned, uh, to communities of color, but also poor whites, rural whites. It's been devastating across the board. I mentor uh, inmate writers at San Quentin. Uh, Mm -hmm. I go in every time I'm out there. Um, A lot of the guys have since gotten out. I'm still close with doing some writing projects with a couple of the guys. But it, it is chilling when you go into a prison and you realize there's guys in their 50s serving time for something they did when they were 18. And right, usually right. that was involved either guns or gangs right. um, or drugs. And they have long since rehabilitated themselves uh, and paid their debt. Right. You know, uh, and it just makes no sense. There's no reason that we need to spend the kind of money we spend to keep these guys caged up. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they have gotten to a, once they have changed their life. And you know, when you see them, you know which guys have rehabilitated. You know they're they're they make a decision at some point that they're going to that they don't want to go back to that horrible life. Right. So yeah, there's so much that can be done in the. Uh, what are some of the steps that we can take now? Because this is kind of the thing that's so difficult. We just had Joe Biden, and I know you're not running, uh, you know, for president or anything, but just sort of put some context here. Joe Biden just, in my personal opinion uttered a sentence that I didn't really think many people held any longer, uh, talking about marijuana, saying, uh, well, we shouldn't legalize it federally because it's a gateway drug. And I don't, alcohol is the greatest gateway drug to everything. Pixie Sticks is the original (laughs) gateway drug, I think. Once you get that that flavored sugar in your mouth as a kid, you want more and more and more. Yes, absolutely. And I was like, dang, man, come on, Joe. Like this, and of of course him being a proponent and and an advocate for the 94 crime bill, it was just like, oh, we can't go backwards like this. No, that's Jeff Sessions kind of thinking, you know? Exactly. That, same, yeah. same thinking. Right. So when it comes to what would be some of the steps that you would take when it comes to trying to get this un- unravel the, the nightmare that our criminal justice system has become? Because it's hard for these politicians to admit that they're wrong. And then it's also hard for them to retroactively, if we legalize marijuana federally, I do believe they have, first of all, they have, you know, Core Civic and Geo Group, these massive private prisons that they got to keep on funding uh, because those are private companies now and they're, they're publicly traded companies, you know. Um, so I think it's hard for them to admit that they were wrong. And then how do you retroactively open the doors and be like, um, so you're allowed to leave. I apologies on the way out for holding you for 25 years. Right. Uh, because you had, you know, whether even if it is crack cocaine, whatever. Low hanging fruit in, in crime. Uh, we uh, get rid of the federal uh, ban on marijuana. We don't have to legalize it. The federal government just has to get out of it altogether. It, mm. it has nothing to do with us. Let right. states and municipalities do what they want to do. That's fine. Like we do with alcohol. That That's fine. Um uh, ban private prisons, absolutely, because you're absolutely right. There's a great example here in Ohio. About 10 years ago, the state legislature sold a 
public prison to a private company. And part of their deal was that uh, 80% of the beds would always be filled, right? So then the company, the first thing they did, like the first week, they put an extra bed in each cell. So instead of each cell having two bunks, it has three bunks. Therefore, all those beds had to be filled. There's three. Hold on a second. These rooms are the size of a of, of a Brooklyn closet apartment. I mean, these these are the a size. A tiny of, bit bigger than a sheet of plywood is how big the cell. Three men. Five by eight. Yeah. Grown men taking dumps, peeing in front of each other, having to eat in front of each other. Right. That is disgusting. That is so immoral. Probably some pretty big uh, anger issues. I I would imagine. I, I would think I so. Prison, yeah. I mean, I would love to see the CEOs of Geo Group and Core Civic have to hang out with each other in a room for three, uh, for for twenty years. You know, see how that ends up. Right, right. So I would get rid of, get rid not only of for-profit prisons, but also for-profit prison companies. So a lot right. of private, a lot of public uh, prisons still uh, uh, contract out with places like the Keefe Group that owns that, that does most of the. Uh, uh, commissaries in prisons across the country. And the Keefe Group, they, they, when they bought this commissary company, the first thing they did is they changed the definitions of like what, what spoiled food is. They no longer go by the date on it that says when it's spoiled. What? It has to have an active infestation of maggots in order for it to be spoiled. Oh, my God. Right. I mean, these they, they're just – it just – cruel i mean just horrible horrible people uh so i would like to get rid of that stuff right off the bat i would also like to see us we got to be honest with people i visit prisons and it sucks a year in prison is really really bad that's a long time in prison yeah you know people think they say oh well uh you know, he killed my mom. He only, what is 10 years good enough punishment? And the truth is, no, there's no good enough punishment for killing your mom. No, of course not. Even killing him doesn't say, okay, we're even. You right, know, right. But we acknowledge like the Scandinavian countries do. Um, I think it's Norway where the longest prison sentence is 12 years uh, because they recognize how, what, you know, what a huge chunk of someone's life that is we definitely live in a society that loves to see people punished and not reformed right when it comes to reforming people i feel like that would be where prisons start we need to start focusing on reforming people as opposed to just throwing them away punishing people and then also really uh, allowing true criminal minds to thrive because those are the ones who actually survive in the prison system the way it's made up right now right 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 well, and, you know, you go in, the, the racial disparity when you go into a prison is just, I mean, it, it's, it's, you, I knew going in that it was going to be weird, but man, when you go in, you're like, oh my God, right. it is crazy. I would assume you watched the documentary, uh, the 13th Amendment, oh, uh, or 13, yeah, yeah uh, 13, and um, do you feel as if prisons are the new plantation? When you talk about like Angola prison, when we talk about uh, all the free labor that these prisoners are forced to do, or not forced to do, quite honestly, they do, in many ways, it's a good way to get out of their cell. They're they're forced to do it because of circumstance. But do you give credence to that? And would you bring that up uh, publicly if you got elected to federal office and really try to address this issue? Yes. In fact, I would be in favor of basically the... uh the Davis Bacon Act for inmates. They should get they should get an honest wage. If a guy is no. out fighting 
in a fire, pay him, pay him what a firefighter gets. It, it goes into his kitty for when he gets out. I'm not saying, you know, but why not? I mean, right. you know, you're paying him 60 cents a day to fight a fire. That is absolutely slave labor. I don't know what else you could call that. Yeah. In some places, like in Alabama, it is literally the plantation, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. they, they built the prison where it used to be a plantation, and they go pick cotton and stuff, you know. Uh, yeah, I think uh, prison labor in and of itself is not a bad thing because it does it, it teaches them skills. And most of the guys I know would say, God, I loved my job at the laundry or whatever. To, like, you're, you're right. It gave them something to do. They were able to learn a skill. They were able to prove to the uh, administration that they were, you know, on the straight and narrow. Right. But pay them what they're worth, you know, at least minimum wage. Yeah. You know, and, and like I say, when that's the other thing. So very often. So so many of these prisons are set up to fail. Right. So so there are still jails in this country where when you get out, you get out. at They let you out at midnight mm. because they get paid per day. So they don't want you in there a minute past when they're making money off you. So you take a guy who whatever he did before he that got him put in prison, then let him out at midnight in the middle of the night probably in a crappy neighborhood where yeah. a jail would be. Um, and then, you, you know, of course you go, he offends again, right. you know? So some of these things, one of the things I would like to do to see, and this is another thing that a guy brought up to me, actually a, a guy who was, uh, recently had his sentence commuted, uh, was talking about how much money we spend on, on, you know, in California, it's, uh, like something like $68,000 a year. Uh, to keep someone in, in prison in California per, per inmate. Yeah. Per inmate. Um, uh, so obviously you could say, wow, imagine if that guy had $68,000 when he got out, <laughs> you know, right. I bet he, um, but one of the things that they have this thing, uh, this program, they suggest that for every six months that you don't reoffend when you're out, you get $5,000. So there is reason for these guys you know, to stay on the straight and narrow, you, you know, and, and maybe you do that for the however long their parole is, because it's one thing. It's a lot cheaper than putting them back in, in prison. Um, right. They are going to. I mean, that's a that's good money when you're poor. Well, you know, and, and I guess that is the really the issue is poverty. Right. And, you know, obviously. And again, I think we all agree. Some people need to be in prison. We do a whole podcast, last podcast on the left. It's all about serial killers who need to be in prison. Everyone agrees with that. And I, I would add Donald Trump to that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll be with his friends soon, perhaps, uh, behind bars. Who knows what the future holds yeah. uh, for uh, for Trump and his and his gang. But when it comes to the reasons behind people g getting incarcerated in the first place, that is, let's talk about economics here. And again, we are speaking with Mike Larson. He is running in the Democratic primary, uh, hopefully at some point to unseat uh, Jim Jordan if he wins that primary. And that is in Ohio's fourth congressional district. So if you're listening from there. They put out my Twitter handle. It's it's Mike Larson, O-H, and Larson is spelled L-A-R-S-E-N. There it is, uh, L-A-R-S-E-N. So when it comes to addressing systemic economic inequality. I, I talk about this all the time on the show. Uh, 1980s trickle-down economics, the only thing that trickled down was the cost. Our middle class is going away, and the middle class, quite frankly, has always been 
the buffer between the poor class and the wealthy. The, the middle class was the American dream class. And that's where you pull yourself up to by your bootstraps. When they say pull yourself up, you go from poor to middle class and then maybe a couple become wealthy. Right. Now they expect you to go from poor to wealthy. That's you it. Know, there's no stopping point in between. Right. And a big part of it is is the loss of union jobs. You drive around Ohio here. There's these towns with these gorgeous old stone buildings and cathedrals and veterans halls. And you would be forgiven if you drove through and thought, wow, there used to be rich people here. It's like, no, it's, they weren't built with Rockefeller money. They were built right. with union money. You know, yeah. there was just a lot of people that had a decent job they could depend on. That's all. And that's where the wealth where wealth happens in a in a city. It's a lot of people with good jobs, not a couple rich guys. I was just speaking to a person I had randomly met at my favorite uh, dive bar here in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, called Skinny Dennis. He's TSA, or not TSA, rather. He's an air traffic controller. Right. And Donald Trump, and a, a lot of people until the government shut down uh, earlier this year, didn't realize air traffic controllers, that's a federal job. Yeah. And as someone who flies all the time, I want yeah. them to be very wide awake, very well compensated, and just making sure my plane doesn't crash or hit another plane. But he he was saying that Donald Trump and his administration threw an executive order, which it was just so ironic how uh, Obama didn't have nearly as many executive orders as George W. Bush or as Bill Clinton, yet he was branded as the executive order president. Okay. And that, it, by people like Donald Trump, and now, of course, the irony is uh, Donald right. Trump loves his EOs, but it was an executive order that gutted the air traffic controllers union, got rid of collective bargaining, this, what Scott Walker did in my home state of Wisconsin as governor, gutted yeah. the teachers' union. Right. And so, obviously, unions, you do. there can be some bad unions, the Jimmy Hoffa wing of unions and all those sorts of things. But then at the same time, nurses' unions, teachers' unions, these very important unions that are just beneficial, that, that are desperately needed for our country, are just being devastated. Nowadays, most unions are public employees there's fewer and fewer factory unionized factories and all these states are starting these you know right to work laws which are just horrible for workers i think we need to get rid of the taft hartley act you know that mm -hmm. that allowed companies it just gave them all the power like if you and i worked at a factory and i said hey ben we should start a union they're allowed to fire me right but when the boss says hey mike and ben you have to go to a mandatory meeting on tuesday so we can tell you how bad the union is we have to go. Right. You know, and it didn't used to be that way. And can you explain a little bit, because this right to work, oh, that, the, the name of this uh, philosophy pisses me off so much. This is what Scott Walker called so good, it. Aren't they naming things? Oh, they're so good. Oh, my God. You mean I have the right to work? Like I didn't have the right to work before? Oh, the freedom of the right to work. I'm so happy. Uh, it is just such backward. The, the policy is always the opposite of the cute name. Yes. So can you explain a little bit about what is right to work? Right, or what we call it here in Ohio, right to work for less. Exactly. And that's basically what it is. So if it's a union shop, um, they don't, the company has the right to hire people that aren't in the union. Um, and a union member has a right to leave the union and stop paying dues, but then still have all the same rights that the union had negotiated. So what they do is they, they, uh, they'll do tiered hiring where, where they will say, okay, these jobs are union, but these other ones aren't. Uh, 
one guy told me a story of a place uh, that made uh, like belts and shoes or whatever, a leather place. Right. And they took a, there was a the job title of the guy who cut the leather, you know, whatever. It was a union job. They took the machine and they moved it physically, moved it like ten feet away, gave it a different title, and then said, "This isn't a union job now. Uh, this is a support job." The same guy did the same job on the same machine, but was no longer in the union. You know, so that's right. Right to work is all about giving rights to employers to uh, to better or more easily fire and hire workers. Um, you know, it just cuts into you know. There's there's no mystery that income inequality has risen at the same time union jobs have gone away. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, same thing that that small towns are dying because union jobs went away, you know, and then now you add in the whole idea of the gig economy, right? You know, we're, we're all private contractors. I mean, you know, you and I both stand up comics. We, we understand that. Yeah. Um, but it, it was hard, especially starting. It was really hard to make a living when you, <laughs> yeah, were, dude. when you're only paid, you know, whatever you're paid for the half hour I'm on stage, not for the other 23 and a half hours where I am, still working to, to create that. Oh my, no, I, I, as an artist, I mean, as I made $22,000 a year until I was 36 years old. I was very similar. I, the first year I wrote on a show, my, I owed more in taxes than I had ever made. And I was thrilled. I right. was like, so happy to pay these taxes. Finally, <laughs> finally, I've made some money. I wasn't quite as thrilled when I had to, but you know <laughs> that's, that's okay. But yeah, good, but but you're right. When it comes to uh, the correlation between union work and again, good union jobs uh, were for professions that matter. I mean, now we're seeing. Uh, a total lack of focus on infrastructure in this country. I was joking about this uh, or just talking about this throughout the past year. Domino's Pizza is paving the roads for us now. You know, when it comes to the lack of infrastructure, can you speak a little bit to that? And again, thank you so much for taking the time today. When it comes to the the decrepit roads, the just decaying bridges, this has got to be fixed in this country and, and this is a component of the Green New Deal that I agree with. When it comes to infrastructure, those jobs to create uh, our infrastructure, those are great paying yeah. jobs, or at the very least, they should be. Not only are they great jobs, but they're local jobs. You know, yeah. you get, hire the guys there and the women there. Um, yeah, the infrastructure is huge, not only repairing broken bridges and, and you know, rutted holes, but what I was saying at the beginning of this conversation with the broadband, you know, running, running cable to, you know, to me, broadband is as important to uh, this generation as running water was to our grandparents' generation. And the government had to do that. I agree. You know, the government had to bring the pipe to the town and then the developers can tie into it. So, yeah. And, and remember, same with the roads. We we act like the, oh, we're going to, do a favor and repair a road. No, there are roads, you know? I mean, Eisenhower invested in the, you know, the interstate highway system. Um, And even then he said the, the success of the interstate highway system will determine on how well future generations maintain it, Mm. you know? And we're all now like, not our problem. You know, it's not my road. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and, and again, those are so, I mean, during, uh, 
you know, Obama, that was kind of his first, uh, you know, recession. Uh, I'm trying to remember what they called their program now. But, you know, it was shovel-ready projects. And yeah. There was a lot of stuff that was done. Uh, but that can't just be something we do every 10 years after a recession. That 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 needs to be a constant thing that we are yes. doing. We're constantly fixing roads. Well, and it, it seems to me, you know, when Donald Trump's rhetoric in 2016 – uh, 2015. It was so bleak. It was so dark. And I was like, damn, man, he is just I, I just don't have that view of America. And then we started to travel a little bit. We drove upstate to uh, do a gig in Ithaca. And I did see, you know, this d- devastated, many devastated communities. So it's yeah. one of these ironies where Donald Trump wasn't wrong when he's like, this country is falling apart. But then the irony is because people were like, that's true. Then when you put someone like this in office, nothing will get fixed because the whole premise is that it is all falling apart. And uh, so the rhetoric ties with the reality, but sadly we're not changing it. Right. And it, it goes hand in hand with the government is in, is inept. So why would we even think about starting a billion dollar project if, if the government's going to have to do it? You, you know, the, the, that's the Trump and Jordan. They kind of have that, thing where they need people to fear the federal government right and you know they think about and i think this is one of the things that they are trying to make people think you know the government is this big monolith yes but at the same time all of these things are decided on the local level it's all about local municipalities making decisions Mm -hmm. um and how to allocate federal funds so if the government if the federal government is not doing what you want them to be doing you have to remember your local leadership may just not be allocating the funds appropriately. Yeah, now I will say something, I'm a big environmentalist, um, but I also acknowledge that in order to do infrastructure correctly, environmental rules need to be looked at. You know, part of these these roads that were built through virgin forests in the 50s because nobody cared, um, there is a problem when they want to go in and repave and there are new environmental laws to stop things like you know, runoff and all that. And all of that is really important, but it's something we will have to look at in the environmental community and say, you know, let's not get in the way of progress. Now, let's not sell out, you know, the earth entirely, but um, I know that is one of the problems and you hear it a lot. Well, we can't like, for instance, uh, I used to go to Yosemite a lot and there's this, uh, this road that, you know, you look at it and you're like, Man, they must it must have used tons of dynamite to blast through this rock, right. you know, uh, that we wouldn't do now. Right. But the 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 guy there, the ranger was t- trying to fix this road and he's like they need to tear this down and build a whole new road. And said, but you know, this is all pristine wilderness. We you know, we don't do that anymore. So it was a, it was a good point. That's what kind of what got me thinking about it that uh, No, it's interesting. You know, we have to be we have to be realistic on, you know, on both sides if we're going to get anything done. I I completely I completely agree. And um, you know, obviously with new technology uh, regarding roads, you know, we see a lot of different formulas for concrete and those sorts of things. I was just watching a video on this uh, on a new road um, that would uh, that would suck up, soak up a lot of water and things like that, you know, and obviously those are expensive things, but there is a lot of new technology. I think that we can explore when it comes to infrastructure, just, just lastly, and then I'll let you go live your life and and do whatever you need to be doing for your campaign. Ask people for money. That's all I have to do. 
<laughs> yeah. Of, well, that's half. Uh, that's I know. That's uh, that's part of the problem. Believe me, it is. Yeah. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, begging. Oh, I hate it. Anyway, the good thing is when I get someone on the phone and say, "Hey, I'm running against Jim Jordan." Right off the bat, they're either in or they're not. They know who he is. So. Right. Right. When it comes to education, you know, this is it. You know, all of these things uh, are in a Venn diagram: uh, criminal justice reform, uh, environmental uh, concerns infrastructure education these things don't live in mutually exclusive realities when it comes when it comes to education what would you like to see done i was talking about this with uh with my co-host here travis morningstar how we need to change the way that we fund public schools it should not be funded by zip code it needs to be funded the wealth needs to be spread around through different school districts so what do you want to what would you propose to help our education system because there is some level of uh, of government uh, i guess cynicism on my part where they want to keep people stupid because then they can also we have a situation oftentimes where high school is a pipeline to prison you know that's like literally you can see you can see how people end up behind bars and they can there's there's studies out there where they can tell if someone is going to end up in jail not 100% but statistically by by uh i believe it was first or second grade like they can do st- uh, you know statistical analysis and be like there's a good chance that individual ends up in jail what would you do uh when it comes to education and uh how would you just make it so people are actually getting an education i think first thing i would like to do is have a conversation with white people we have to admit that the system all the systems in this country are driven by race and there's no the other day I got pulled over for speeding and the guy let me go. And I was like, white privileged, <laughs> you know, but these school districts that are suffering, yeah. they're poor communities, they're in, in you know, minority communities. Um, and you're right, we need to change the funding model. The other thing that we do now, so, so Obama did some good things on education and some that I did not like, but the thing, you know, the common core system Right. Is I don't know if you have kids. My daughter kind of went through that, and it was kind of weird, you know, when your second grader brings home her math homework, and I can't make heads or tails out right. of it. Right. Teach it a different way, but it was great. It was really good. And when we moved from Los Angeles to Ohio, she didn't miss a step because they were doing that here too, you know. And so I think having national standards for certain things, especially for um, grade school kids, um, is really important. But I think with that then should be a, a, a funding formula that makes them equal. You know, the school that Marianne was in in Los Angeles was a, a very good public school, but LAUSD is, is not a great school district and they, they were short on money. Now, fortunately, we had a, uh, a, a kind of an engaged neighborhood where the parents pitched in and did stuff. Right. You know. Uh, I did some fundraisers, did comedy and brought some of my buddies out. We did a show, you know, raised some money for their so that they could have a band, you know, and things like that. Right. But, yeah, I think we we need we really need, you know, when they talk about reparations, people think that means every black person gets a check for a million dollars or whatever. Right. Um, I suppose that would be one. It's mostly, I think, is for us coming to grips and, and admitting that. There aren't more black people in prison than white because they are inherently more criminal. Right. You know, they're 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 poor. Their neighborhoods have you know 
a hundred liquor stores and no drug store or rather no no grocery store or a, a little league field you, you know yeah. and just kind of acknowledge the truth about this stuff and of course when it comes to there are two sets of standards and i've said this before weed has basically been legal for wealthy people forever of course. cocaine has been legal for wealthy people forever like it's all good like they have nothing to worry about and it's an open secret I, right. I because I look the way I do, um, I get I can get away with anything. I don't take advantage of it very often. But, you know, things like talking myself out of a speeding ticket, you know, and I think, you know, I got a bunch of friends that would not have even thought to try. Right. You know, so when it comes to when it comes to education, one of the issues that I have is this teaching for the test. And I know teachers, their backs are against the wall as well. And we're not yeah. even talking about it. again, going back to how all of the the Venn diagrams here, when it comes to the Second Amendment, this notion of arming teachers, uh, this, you know, there's so much that goes into right. this stuff to unpack. But one of the issues that I have is the teaching to the test, the teaching yeah. for the test, because it's it's handcuffed educators and, and teachers are scapegoats now uh, for the failed education system when in reality they're on the front lines trying to save the damn thing obviously there's gonna be some crappy teachers but I know some really great teachers and I had some really great teachers who without them I, I wouldn't have graduated high school because you know some teachers didn't like believe it or not people don't always like the class cloud when you're the teacher who would want to be a teacher unless you really love education you, you, you absolutely crap you, you know, it's not. Yeah. Anyone who just decided at some point in their life to be a teacher, I, I think, is is probably a good teacher. Uh, but, yeah, the money thing is a big part. Now, one last thing about um, we do need a wealth tax. And and for me, I want I would want to tax the money that's being hoarded. Um, right. Have a benefit to the very wealthy if they use their money, if they if they invest their money. Um, either you know build build a factory or do whatever, then I would say they tax at a lower rate than people who just have it hoarded away. Absolutely, they, you know, because that money it belongs to us. It's supposed to be in the economy. That's the money that was supposed to trickle down. Right, right, and they they want to say, ha ha, I make more money than Warren Buffett or whatever, you know. But and that's one of the things. Speaking guys like Warren Buffett. And Eli Broad and so some of these older billionaires, that's what they talk about, too, about that the money that is socked away is what should be taxed so high that you volunteer to bring it and put it to work somewhere. Right. Bring it back into the business. Bring it back into the economy. And with that money, the, just the taxes off that could pay for all the pie in the sky proposals that people have infrastructure, education, yeah. there's plenty of money. Absolutely. Or they say, okay, well, I realize that's going to be too much. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to get taxed that high. Let me invest. Let me invest in schools. Let me invest. Cause I don't give a crap if every single school is called Warren Buffett high school. If every <laughs> single school is, is, you know, taken care of and kids have books, uh, tablets, whatever the hell they need. I don't right. give a crap. All of these billionaires, they can put their names on whatever they want. Just, we need to fund the damn schools. Uh-huh. That's funny. I once made a friend of mine work for uh, the Obama White House, and when we did a went to a thing once where they were talking about it's like a big ideas conference, and I wrote a paper on uh, we should have a monument to rich people in Washington, and if they give us a, a, enough money, they get their name on the monument, um, and people are like, you know, that's actually kind of a good idea. That's all they want. 
They just want their look at Donald Trump. They just want their names on things. Right. Well, I agree. So, Mike Larson, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thank you, Ben. It was great. We had a lot. We it was a great conversation. We got to cover uh, systemic uh, poverty. We got to cover criminal justice reform, the Second Amendment, education, environmental issues. So, if you live in Ohio's fourth congressional district. Give Mike Larson a listen, and uh, best of luck in the primary. And, you know, no matter what happens, congratulations on getting involved, staying involved, getting your opinions out there. And this is what the demo- this is what democracy looks like. You know, a, a, a former comedy writer, comedian, uh, you know, with a political knowledge, political background, running for office. This is what it looks like. It's, it's certainly what the House of Representatives is supposed to be. It's supposed to be people from all walks of life. We always, House of, the, the op, optimal word, representative. They are, right. they are supposed to represent. Uh, yes. So best of luck, Mike Larson. And you can go and find, now where do you want people to find you? I, I know you have a website, but is there anything else? So Twitter is uh, uh, at Mike Larson O-H. And Larson is spelled L-A-R-S-E-N. Uh, my website is uh, ohmike.org. Awesome. So those are good places to start. And from there, you can find where I am on Facebook and all that. Check them out, everyone. Um, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you being on the show, man. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Thanks. All right. There it was, my interview with Mike Larson. I think we covered a lot of good stuff there, Travis. Yes. I love the Drew Carey show. I like the episode where they, they do a Sims episode. Oh. And they speak in, in uh, Simlish. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I don't know if Mike was involved in that episode, but uh, uh, shout out to the Drew Carey Show for really you know breaking the format of, uh, of sitcoms. You know, they definitely did. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. We shall talk to you very, very soon. Hail yourselves. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brands Park American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.